Hey, old Buck fans out there. This is this is old Buck Dell uh, doing the intro today, and uh, we got a little something special going on here with old Buck Dave. That would be me. That would be Dave. That would be me, old Buck Dave. I see you're holding a book. I have a book in my hand. And yes. I'm, the obvious question is, uh, uh, what what's it about? What's what are you going to do? What's happening there? It, I am going to read uh, an excerpt from this book. The name of the book is Daily Life in the 1960s Counterculture by Jim Willis. Uh, this is this is one of those episodes where you you know, love us or hate us. So no, we'll see know, how it goes. Mind. I don't mind when you read. We'll story. see how it goes. I mean, you're, you're basically just reading it to me, right, Dave? You know? I'm reading it to you. And everybody else is lucky right. enough to hear the story. Yeah, so, so this fellow, Jim Willis, he was born in March of 1946, so he's one of us. He's a buck. Ah, okay. He's, he's a 46er, yeah. yeah, first first year of the baby boomers. Now, this book came out in 2019. Uh, Willis is a journalist, professor emeritus at Azusa Pacific University in California, so... And he, he's taught some classes, and he, he's, I think he's used this book in in some classes. So basically, the book is his reflection on uh, life in the 60s, as, as he experienced it, and as other people experienced it. He's collected a hand, not a handful, a bucket full of essays from several people around that age, age group, and uh, he, he weaves these into the book. So he's, 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 this is the second book in a series. I think he was going to write one more on this. So it's a short story. It's just a short Well, these are essays. This is all nonfiction. Oh, okay. Okay. This is all, all real stuff, no, no made-up stories. And uh, so I'm, I, if, if this uh, is what, of interest— What made you pick that up? How did you get a line on that? I'm a baby boomer like you, and I like this fella. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was an interesting collection of essays. And uh, if people are liking this, there's a lot of essays on a lot of different topics dealing with growing up and uh, being a... So it's it's the content that you found most interesting that you wanted to read about? Yeah. Or is it the way yeah. he wrote it? I mean, because you write some stuff. Well, he's he's done a nice job of putting it all together and weaving it all together into, okay. diff- into different topics. Let me see here. Just so for, this essay is about how long? About uh, it's five, probably seven minutes? Ten minutes, minutes, maybe. Maybe ten minutes, this uh, particular one. I have one. no place else to go. And, uh, and, uh, so, I'd I mean, like just for example, looking at the contents, he's talking about politics, intellectual life, domestic life. Religious life, military life, role of drugs, economics, music, et cetera, et cetera, movies. So he's he's talking about the different aspects of our culture and and, and how they were. At technically, that. I we should have some we, we, some we, knowledge of these. We things. we should yeah yeah absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I think right. it's interesting. Well, stand by, he he dedicated. Now listen, this is the dedication. He says this book is dedicated to twenty-two fellow bombers. That's his high school name. They were called the Bombers. They were the Bombers, like we were the Hornets, yeah. Uh. 22 fellow Bombers from Midwest City, Oklahoma High School, who died fighting in the Vietnam War. Uh. You will always be remembered. So uh, that gives you a little bit of background on what he's about. Well, All right, so let me go to one of these essays. And the reason I picked this one is, is he, he in dedication, he's talking about his classmates dying in the Vietnam War and this is this one is this essay is titled the Canadian option to Vietnam 
All right, so he, he talks, uh, he does some preamble here, and he cuts in and out of the essay, so I'll, I'll give you a heads up when, he, when he's giving his analysis versus when the, okay. when the writer. Okay. All right. Okay. All right, well, I'm all ears. All right. An alternative for young men in the 1960s who wished to avoid the military draft and fight in a war they couldn't endorse was to move to Canada. Many weighed this decision carefully with some choosing to go. The government estimates some 100,000 young American men made this move to avoid the draft. Those who did go were not able to return without fear of prosecution until the presidency of Jimmy Carter, when a pardon was granted in 1977 for those men who had evaded the draft by moving to Canada. Here is the story of one man who wondered if he should take the Canadian option in the mid-1960s. Now, this is the beginning of the essay. I'd put a lot of thought into military service long before it was time to sign up for the draft when I turned 18 in 1964. All that thinking led me to the conclusion that it wasn't for me. Not because I had some deep-rooted opposition to all wars, if I'm being honest, but simply that it wasn't in my strategic plan. I couldn't see putting my life on the sidelines for two years well, I got the chance to build character, marching in formation, and sweeping out barracks, or whatever other plans the Army might have, had, might have for me. Then there was this Vietnam thing, slowly heating up, which clinched my decision. The whole thing made no sense to me. The French had been there forever and finally threw in the towel. Wasn't this just a civil war in some tiny Asian country a half world away? No, this is now back to uh, Willis, he says. As the writer points out, it wasn't only a young man's opposition to the Vietnam War that made some consider leaving the country to avoid the draft. Many young men had simply worked hard to educate themselves for a career and a life mission that did not include fighting in a jungle war in a country many had never heard of for a cause that didn't seem to affect America's safety or security. He continues... I remember our eighth grade history teacher telling us back then that every generation had to have its war. And while there was nothing solid on the horizon for us, he was confident that we'd get our chance. This was just before the first U.S. military advisors were killed in Vietnam. My plans to go directly to college to get my 2S student deferment in the fall, no year off to bum around England or contemplate my navel. Five years later, while Washington was sending more poor kids to the jungles of Asia, I was preparing for on-campus senior job interviews. My search criteria were clear. I had to be assured of a 2A critical industry draft deferment. The job had to be reasonably interesting, and it had to be within striking distance of Philadelphia. I went with a firm 70 miles to the west after their HR guy boasted that they had never been turned down for a deferment request. I broke that streak for them. Shortly, I got a letter from my draft board back in the Pittsburgh area stating that I was to be reclassified 1A, available for military service, pending a physical exam. Next came a letter to report for a physical exam as a clock began to tick loudly. Now back to Willis. A young man's world could change in a day during this decade. And the most shocking change would often come in the mail with a letter like the one he received. 
In a heartbeat, all the plans a young man might have made, the relationship he was building with the special woman, his excitement over living a life he had dreamed of, would all change with that letter from the draft board. The man's worst fears would be realized in the thought of losing his life in the jungles of Vietnam. It was more than enough to cause men like him to consider his options. Here's what he did. I hooked up with an anti-war group in Philadelphia to see what options I had. With no obvious, while not obvious to me, physical or mental flaws, my options were limited. I declined to establish conscientious objector status on principle and also took the reserves off the table. My opposition to the war had perhaps grown stronger than my armyless strategic plan, or maybe it was my nightmares about dying in a faraway jungle for a cause I didn't believe in, but I began to take a hard look at the land up north. I bought a few months by switching draft boards, but the notice to take my physical eventually came, and a few weeks later, the millman told me I had passed the physical and was deemed ready to serve. A steel company just across the border in Hamilton, Ontario, had openings for engineers, and I decided I would head that way if I got a draft notice. Next came tearful letters and phone calls with my parents. My dad, a World War II vet, said he'd support my decision if it came down to that. Looking back, it was probably naive of me to think that I could walk into a steel mill in Canada and be offered a job on the spot. Maybe I'd have driven a cab instead. Who knew where a draft dodger would end up? Now this is back to Willis. But as he realized, it wasn't that easy to justify the kind of break with all he had known in life. Wanting to go to Canada and actually doing it were two different things. He was facing a moment of truth as the pressure increased. Then, just as it, just as it had when he got the letter from the draft board, his life would change again in another heartbeat. Let's back to the writer. On December 1, 1969, the government held a nationwide draft lottery in an effort to make the system fairer for all. Each of the 366 birth dates was given a number, and I listened in my car radio to KYW as they were pulled out of the cage one by one. The expectation was that anyone below 130 to 150 would be drafted. I drew 351, 351. It was at last over for me, but was it really? All those years later, I still think about it and even write about it. Do I ever worry that my personal battle caused somebody else to take my place, perhaps coming home damaged or in a box? Absolutely, to this day. Were my motives all righteous and pure, with me standing up for exactly what I believed in at all times? Probably not. Yes, I had my convictions, but I gamed the system and won. Did I ever disrespect anybody who was drafted or enlisted then or now? Absolutely not. I visited Normandy a few years ago and was fortunate enough to shake hands with a World War II vet at one of the cemeteries there. It was a deeply moving experience for me. We all have to make up our own decisions based on the information and options we have at hand. Would Would I have gone to Canada if it had come to that? I'm reasonably certain the answer is yes. Where would I be today as a result? I wish I knew. That's as black and white as I can get on this one.
Very interesting. And that's so. I thought that was interesting, is in that uh, it's a it's a little Vietnam story from the other side. So he never did go to Canada. He didn't have to go to Canada. He didn't have to go to Canada because he got a high draft number. Yeah. So 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 there's no fault, no fault, no recrimination to him. He didn't actually dodge the draft. He didn't dodge the draft. This he is just a mental didn't, didn't break any he laws. Over how, break, yeah. how he might have to do but that. But yeah, just you know, it's interesting the the anguish that he had to go through here uh, throughout the whole process. You know, I had a professor. No, well, actually, he wasn't a professor, but he was. A, I think he was an athletic director, and he said, uh, "You know, don't worry, they'll have a war for you." And uh, yeah, we pretty much provided that with every generation. Every generation going. gets its chance. Yeah, it was there's always something uh, where there's uh, we get involved in, and a number of people lose their lives. And then I had a, a Japanese professor that said we should not be in that war. It's a civil war. Uh, I of course I had signed up. Uh, I, I think I told you the story. I was you know I could shoot a twenty two. So. I said, you know, sign me up on the application. It said, do you think you have anything that would uh, disqualify you? And I said, no. But wait a minute. And then you they, went might on, have. they went on down a list and says, have you ever been in a hospital? Or yes. asked a few more questions and it came to the, came to the point of any body parts have ever been removed. And yeah. Then, and I wrote, Oops. yes, but so what? You know, I'm, I'm perfectly normal. Only one, only one big one. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, they wrote back and said, no, uh, you, uh, you don't qualify. Okay. Uh, All right. So you, we wouldn't take it. So you had a medical deferment. Uh, they just said, we don't want you. Yeah. Didn't have to even yeah. go to any kind of, yeah. Any other further than that. They could see the, uh, 18 inch scar, wrapped around my side, so that was the answer to that. But I I find that to be interesting, that there's a lot of people went through that dilemma. And I have a... Yeah, and, and people dealt with it different ways. And yeah. this, is just, this is just one quick look at the way one person dealt with it. I, and I'm assuming that the, the people listening to us, most of them are boomers or very, very close to that, and uh, they would remember I think that's, some of that's, these a, that's a fair estimate. Yeah, it's yeah. a fair estimate. Yeah. So they could relate to that, but the... Uh, that was a tough time in America. It was a tough time. It was. Have you ever been to the Vietnam Wall down in uh, D.C.? I have. I have. Uh, yeah, very, that's a very touching few, experience. Few mon- that's one of the few monuments that brought me to tears. Yeah, me too. Me Actually too. brought me to tears. Me too, and yeah. Usually, you know, the, uh, you know the, the, the picture of a tank or something, you know, didn't do it. But that, that one did. That one did. Yeah. You, can, you know, you can walk around there and not see that. You know, because it's sure, level with the ground. It's kind you get of down there close, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you look at that, and you see those names on there. So, and you see people stenciling the names of their friends. Yeah, from, so, from no, that's a good story, Dave. Yeah. You know, I think every now and then you have a you you read a lot of different stuff. I do read. A lot you do read a lot of different. I read stuff. a lot of stuff. And you you recommend things to me that you think I would enjoy because you read so much, uh, and you've sent some great books over. But there's a, you're, you're a, uh, have a wider interest, and then uh, you know just uh, you know just uh, Spencer novels or or uh, detective stories. So I appreciate it. Hope the listeners did. Yeah, I think I'm a, uh, just before we before we run off here, think about what he said at the very end. What 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 would have happened if he had gone to Canada? Do you ever think about what happened if I would have made this turn in the road instead of that turn in the road? It, 
some point in my oh, life. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I do that a lot, and I go through what-ifs. Just, you know, I don't know why. Oh, but the what-if. Uh, what there you if, go. Yeah. All you listeners out there, put that one in your, yeah. in your brain. That's going to be like an earworm. Yeah, what if you were? What yeah, if? what if you? What if you went? To, what, what if, if you, you did, did go yeah. to Canada? And where would you be today? I, I didn't think about. I mean, of course, I didn't have to deal with that issue. But my issue was, why didn't I keep that job back in 1972, where I was making more money? At <laughs> uh, you know, I was make. I, I would have been. I could have been retired. You were, uh, you were a new, new college retired. grad at the time. I'd and... have been retired at fifty. Mm-hmm. And I said, I thought you were retired at 50. No, I just never took a serious <laughs> job. <laughs> I just never wanted to work that hard. You did, yeah. So I would have been retired at 50 had I done that, had they stayed with that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but my attitude is like, it's like, Jesus, it's only money. I mean, it's only money. You know, what am I going to do if I have to put up with all this for the next 30 years, you know? Yep. And that job particularly, it, it was like a four-hour commute every day because of traffic. Ooh. And so I said, I'm spending most of my life on the road just driving back and yeah, forth to work. That's, so. that's a good reason there. Anyhow, I have, I have thought about stuff like that, yeah. but I try to put it out of my head because it is what it is and now is now, you yeah. know. What I mean? what the... so. Yeah, I think it's, but it's just interesting to play what if, what if with yourself. If. And uh, I mean, it, 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 you know, it, does, it, is, it doesn't go anywhere, but it just... What if what if that train you were on in the middle of uh, Siberia somehow decided to flip over? Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, we we thought it was that at Bolivian one point. mine would have just collapsed on your head. We were like we were really worried at one point because yeah. they had they had a long stop and they were behind schedule and through the night the uh, engineer or the, the, the he was yeah. trying to make up time and it was clearly. It was rocking and rolling and swaying yeah, so and clacking. It's, it's like, a, ah, he's probably if, going faster yeah, what than, if situation. than these tracks want him to. Um, but anyway. But speaking of, uh, you know, speaking of books, uh, lately, I was just amazed myself. It, you can be a, an avid reader all your life, and you would have to start and really stay with it and, and you know, read different genres, and different stories. And I just discovered some books that were, you know, very popular in the early 80s. I'm thinking, where was I at? And I just wasn't a big reader back then. Not a big reader at the no. time, yeah. But now it's like, uh, what uh, what fun it is to escape into a little uh, a little adventure story through a book. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think, what are the things I want to do when I retire? Honestly, one of the things that I was looking forward to was being able to read more books. Because you, you have know, been able to accomplish that, haven't you? I do. I probably read 30, 35 books a year, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's not as many as some people, but it's more than other people, and it's. Uh, it's if, if I go into a big bookstore, I'm overwhelmed. Oh yeah, totally overwhelmed. Yeah. I mean, I go to the science fiction section to see if I remember any of the old authors there, and and I'm totally overwhelmed because uh, there's so many people recommend them, like Goodreads or whatever there may be. You know, like the, we recommend these books, but it's so funny. Uh, I get into a library and I'm wandering around, wandering around, and and I'll eventually see somebody in the same aisle, and I'll say to him, "Pardon me, uh, do you come here often?" <laughs> that <laughs> old pickup line. Yeah. I said because, tell me what you find interesting to read. I I I just can't. I can never leave with a book that unless I really went in to get one that I was hunting for. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like that book. Remember, remember I keep asking you about that movie, Greyhound? Greyhound, yeah. You no, know, that was written in 1947. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a story of a... That's uh, an a, old story. Yeah, a ship captain. Uh, and, and I said, man, it's been around all that long. So the library did have that, and I was in found it. Otherwise, I... I, I recommended a kindness of strangers to pull something out, and yeah. I've been very lucky with that. Somebody would pick something out, and they'd say, "Do you ever see this book? Try this book." I'd read the blurb on it, and say, "I'm going to do it." And mm -hmm. many times I got lucky, and it's been a real read. I yeah. never would have picked up, yeah, on my own. So, so thank you for that story. You are welcome for that story. I'm, I'm hoping uh, that some folks enjoyed it. And if you did or if you didn't, we're we're still bucks too old at gmail dot com. <laughs> Del, Dell's personal phone number is eight eight zero zero. Hey, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen. Let's challenge the let's challenge the listeners to send us in their 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 favorite book. There might be one they really like that, that we that, could recommend on their behalf. Okay. I mean, like. Uh, uh, our uh, the vivacious vixen uh, Judith. Well, we yeah she's we a, we said that a, uh, yeah, we, prolific we, reader. She's we got a, a commitment from Judith to do a book report from time to time, yeah. and we we haven't gone back to her, so shame on us. So, so maybe she has one she'd like to tell us about. If she's listening, if she's not listening, I'm going to send her a note. And yeah, say, Judith, there's quite a few listeners in Normalville. Judith, like, it's time that to, I know are readers that could uh, yeah. they could fire one off to us. So now all you all you folks out there. Uh, Bookwise, don't hesitate to give us a give us a shout. Uh, that'll help us uh, keep some of my bombastic ideas off the airways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyhow, David, about time to cut it. It is. Ready to roll. I think it's it's about time to say goodbye. This yeah. was well, this was fun to do this. And thank I you hope so much got for something out of it. that story. And old Buck Dell saying, "Thank you for listening." And this is Old Buck Dave saying, "It was a pleasure." See you next time, folks. Bye-bye.